She took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to the Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew up, she brought him to the Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses. Because she said, I drew him out of the water. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. And he looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Reuel, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah, and she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. During those many days the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and cried out for help. And their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you asking to feed us by your word. We ask that you would move by your spirit. I pray that you would work in me, that I would speak only words that please you and point us to Christ our Savior. Work in us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A man who got drunk and had children with his own daughters. A prostitute. A man who tricks his father to steal the inheritance away from his brother. A cold-blooded murderer. An adulterer who arranges to have the husband killed. What do all these have in common? They're all members of the Bible. What? They're all members of the Bible. They're people in the Bible. Yeah. 
Now, believe it or not, these are some of whom we call the heroes of the faith. Did you recognize any of those people? Some of them were descendants through whom Jesus was born. Right? These were Lot, Rahab, Jacob, Moses, David. All of these were broken people. Failures in many ways. And they have in common that they were all used by God to carry forth His powerful plan. To carry forth His will and the salvation for His people. The truth of our text this morning is that God is sovereignly working His plan. He's in absolute control and nothing can change His plans. No one can thwart His purposes. God is sovereign, but He uses people as a means to carry out His plan. He uses ordinary people. He uses even failures that His plan might go forward. That things would work out according to His will. We saw this in chapter 1. Although God seemed distant and silent, He was working every step of the way. He was fulfilling His promise to Abraham to make him into a great nation. The more they were oppressed in the land as slaves, the more they grew, the more they multiplied. The more they were pushed down, the more their numbers rose. God's plan is like an avalanche rushing down a hill. It cannot be stopped. And it gathers speed as time goes by. In chapter 2, we see that this plan to deliver His people begins to take shape. And here's how He's going to work. He's going to raise up a deliverer from the people of Israel. One who is broken. One who is a failure in many ways. A a man, a deliverer from his own people who will rescue his people. That deliverer is Moses. He was one of the Hebrew people, a pure blood Israelite. That's what we read about him being the son of a a Levite man and a Levite woman. Both of the uh, Israelite people. Because of the rules that were in place, and it says because she saw that he was special, she hid him for three months. But then there came a time where he could... She could hide him no longer. So in faith, she put him down in a basket and floated him down the river where, guided by the hand of God, he came to where Pharaoh's daughter was bathing. She looked at him and had compassion. And in the wonderful plan of God, the baby's own mother got to nurse him and care for him, probably up to the age of nine. She got paid to do it on top of it. What a great providence of God this was. He was protected and safe. But notice whom God uses in this part of the plan. The loving and nurturing mother. An ordinary woman who had no option but to send her child down the river in hopes that he would be rescued. The daughter of that mother who patiently waited by seeking her opportunity to speak to Pharaoh's daughter. And Pharaoh's daughter who looked on Moses with compassion. God is in the midst of these very ordinary circumstances, but He is doing something extraordinary. He's carrying forth His plan. We should ask ourselves, do you feel ordinary? If so, take heart. God uses ordinary people in His plan. Ordinary mothers who are raising up their children the best they can. Ordinary school teachers who are doing the best they can to to speak the name of Jesus at certain opportunities or just to care for the children in their classes. Ordinary men and women who go to the workplace and look for opportunities 
to show the love of Jesus to those who are hurting, or to pray for their co-workers as they're going through some trial. God uses ordinary people to fulfill His purposes. Are you available to Him? Are you available to serve Him? But here we see that God not only uses ordinary people, He also uses failures. Pharaoh's daughter adopted the baby and named him Moses. He was nurtured at home among the Israelites, as I said, probably for as much as nine years. He learned their customs, but he also learned the customs of the Egyptians. He wore their clothes. He learned their their customs. He was educated as an Egyptian, but he still knew who he was throughout all of this. He was an Israelite. He was a Hebrew. And so when he saw the oppression of his people, the brutal slavery they were under, his heart went out to his own people in compassion. Verse 11 says, He looked on their burdens. That's not just seeing what's going on. That's not just looking at the situation. That's looking on them with compassion. With a heart to do something about it. Perhaps it was the same compassion that his mother felt for him when she sent him down the river. Or the same compassion that Pharaoh's daughter looked on him with. Moses looked on their burdens and knew that they needed a deliverer. And he was just the man for the job. Did you know that Moses, at this point in his life, saw himself as the one who would deliver the Israelites? We know this because of Acts chapter 7. Look there with me for a moment. Acts chapter 7 in the New Testament, after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts chapter 7, verses 17 to 29. This is in a sermon by Stephen before he is stoned to death. Acts chapter 7, verses 17 to There he says, As the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt, until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed... Father's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. When he was forty years old, it came to his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. They did not understand. And on the following day he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now, did you see that in verse 25? Did you notice that? In his killing of the Egyptian, Moses supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. But they did not. Moses 
saw himself as the deliverer, but he took things into his own hands and ended up committing murder. He was a failure. He was a broken man, a murderer and a fugitive. An exile to the land of Midian. Maybe as far as Moses was concerned after this, he was done. His chance to be the deliverer had come and it had gone. He'd lost his chance. He'd messed it all up. Now he would just live to a nice old age in the land of Midian. But here's where we should recognize that God uses broken vessels for His work. Moses was like a broken cup. Not able to be used for anything, but thrown away. But the Lord was going to to put him back together and use him in spite of his sin, in spite of his failures. God's plan is not messed up or thwarted by our failures. God uses even our failures in the midst of His plan. You may feel like you're a broken cup too. You're damaged goods. You're not useful for anything but to be thrown away. You've sinned. You've messed up in your life. You've tried to run from your problems, but they followed you. You beat yourself up over your sins. You feel like you're such a failure and you just know that God can't use you now. You're not worth it. You can't be used. But listen, God uses failures like us in His plan. Do you know why? Because Jesus Christ, the one true success story, became a failure so that you could be saved. Jesus was broken so that you could be mended back together. And when you turned away from your sins and trusted in Jesus, He put you back together. Now all the lines where you were cracked and broken may still be there, but you've been made whole. The old has passed away and the new has come. He has forgiven your sins by His blood. And now He wants to use you for His glory. You're ordinary. You have failed in many ways. But by what Jesus has done on the cross for you, Christian, you are precious in His sight. You are useful in the sight of God. God uses failures to carry out His plan and to bring glory for Himself. Exhibit A is Moses. The murderer, the fugitive. But God was still teaching him, still growing him. And over the next 40 years in the land of Midian, God would be working in him to develop him into the leader that he needed to be. Although Moses went about it the wrong way, he was showing compassion when he defended the the Israelites. And he was acting with compassion when he stood up to the shepherds and rescued the priest's priest's daughter. He delivered them and watered their flocks. And soon he would be the leader who would deliver the Israelites and water them in the midst of the desert. Moses, though, spent another 40 years in Midian. By the time we get to chapter 3, Moses will be 80 years old. I know the Israelites probably wondered, what is taking so long to carry out your plan? Why is God so slow in working His plan? But He was working. He was working all along, and these plans began to take shape even more when God's people began to pray. Look at verse 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. Now, have you noticed how much prayer there's been in the midst of this chapter, Exodus 2? Zero. 
Prayer has been mentioned zero times. Now, I'm sure that probably some people were praying, but for the most part, it seems like Moses is trying to show us that up to this point, there had not been a great movement of prayer. The people of God were not praying on a regular basis and in great numbers. They had been beaten. They had been in slavery. They had been ruthlessly worked. They had had the lives of their children threatened, and yet they didn't pray in great numbers or with great faith. That groaning you see in verse 23, the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. It's not a cry for prayer yet. It's just groaning and crying out. Their slavery lasted 400 years. Where has the prayer been? Why haven't you cried out to God? Why wouldn't they pray? It's like a a boy who's being bullied and his brother's standing off on the way and he won't cry out to his brother even though he remembers he has a black belt in karate. Why won't he cry out? His rescue's right there. And yet how many of us fail to call out on God on a regular basis? How many of us fail to cry out to God first when we're going through trials? How many of us fail to pray at all? I think this is one of the big problems in the American church today, and I do think it's a problem in our church as well. Let me ask you this. How many of you are satisfied with your prayer life right now? By and large, we are not a people of prayer. But you say, but I pray all the time, Jim. I pray all the time throughout the day. Many times. But do we take time out somewhere in the day? Do we take just 10 minutes, just 20 minutes, just 30 minutes to pray? Do we take time out and go to a quiet, solitary place like Jesus did so that we can commune and communicate with our Heavenly Father? See, we've settled for microwave popcorn prayers instead of savory, juicy, marinated steak prayers. We've settled for text messaging prayers instead of a one-on-one, hour-long conversation with God. What if all of our life, all of our communication with one another was just in text messages? No phone calls. No personal meetings one-on-one. Could we live that way? And yet, that's how we try to live with God. Ten words here. Five words here. We need to pray. We need to devote time, quiet, solitary time to prayer. We have to change this as individuals and we must change this as a church too. Let's not be like the Israelites who didn't cry out to God for 400 years. This is one area I hope to work in on Wednesday nights. Each week we're spending more and more time praying together for the Lord. And one thing i found personally is that I love to hear God's people pray. I love to hear God's people pour out their hearts to God, confess their sins, cry out to God, forgive me God, I'm such a sinner. When I hear someone pray like that, it breaks my heart over my sin too. When I hear someone cry out to Jesus for mercy, it makes me cry out to Jesus for mercy too. When I hear of somebody wanting to to be holy Yearning after holiness. I yearn after holiness too. I love to hear God's people pray. And God loves to hear His people pray too. 
Prayer is a part of what Christ died to give us. We were separated from God, estranged from Him because of our sins, but when Christ died on the cross for sinners, He kicked down the door that was separating us from God. He brought us to God. He gave us peace with God. He gave us access to God. And now we can come to His throne in prayer with confidence that He will hear us. But listen, if you are not a Christian, if you have not turned from your sins and trusted in Jesus, God has not promised to hear your prayers in the same way. This is why we contend that although Muslims and Jews and Hindus may be absolutely sincere in their prayers, they may be genuine and heartfelt, they may be given with the best intentions, they are not praying to the one true God. Because they are not praying through Jesus Christ. God doesn't promise to hear the prayers of those who don't come through Christ. But for us who are in Christ, for us who belong to Christ, we can be sure of this. God hears our prayers and He loves it when we pray. You read in verse 23 that finally the people of God prayed. And the prayers of the Israelites, their cries for rescue rose up to God. We don't know exactly what it was that caused them to pray again, but it may have been they felt like they were up against the wall. They were trapped. They had nowhere else to turn. We, we read in Ezekiel 20 that it, it looks like the Israelites had accumulated for themselves the idols of the Egyptians while they were in slavery. So while they were living in the slavery, they also became in bondage to these idols, these gods of the Egyptians. I can imagine them turning to these gods for help first. Crying out to these idols first. And then when nothing seemed to work, when they were backed against the wall, then they turned to God in prayer. You know what that's called? It's called foxhole religion. Have you ever heard of that before? That's when a soldier is tucked away in a, a corner. He has nowhere else to turn and he cries out to God, Lord, if you get me out of this, if you fix this, I'll follow you the rest of my life. I'll do anything for you. Just get me out of this situation. But many of us have prayed prayers like that before. What we're actually doing in those times is bargaining with God, using God. But here, God has mercy on the Israelites in that although it seems they are using God and they turn to God as a last resort, God hears their prayers. God hears their prayers. In verse 25, there are four verbs that describe God's response to the Israelites. God heard, God remembered, God saw, and God knew. God heard their groaning. Like smoke rises to the clouds, their prayers rose to Him. Like the cry of a baby reaches its mother's ears. The cries of Israel were here, were rising up to God. He heard their groaning. The image here of hear is hearing a noise that rouses you to attention. Like hearing your phone ring as you're sleeping or hearing the doorbell that gets you up and goes, gets you going to the door. The people called out to God. They cried upon God and He heard their prayers. He remembered His covenant. This means He remembered the promise that He made to Abraham. He remembered His promise. I will make you into a great nation. You will be blessed. And you will bless the entire world. What does it mean that God remembered something? Had He forgotten His promise? 
Had he forgotten? Oh yeah, I made that promise to Abraham a long time ago and I hadn't fulfilled it yet. We know our Bible's better than that, right? We know God differently than that. We know better than to think God is forgetful. This word remembered means that, that God brought it to mind in such a way that He's about to do something about it. He had made a promise and He was intent to keep it. The ultimate cause of God's working here was not the prayer of God's people, but God's own faithfulness. God's promise. We could say, in fact, the reason the people were praying in the first place is because God was working in them to pray. He had put them in a situation where they could do nothing else. Even before the people prayed, God was working. God was working to raise up His man. The one He had chosen to be deliverer for Israel. God heard, God remembered, and God saw the people of Israel. This word is the same word that's used in verse 11 when Moses looked upon the people of Israel. Just as Moses looked upon them with compassion, God here is seen as looking down upon His people with great compassion. Jesus once told a story about a man who was traveling down the road. Some robbers came on him, took all of his stuff, beat him up, bloodied him up, and left him for dead. And a priest happened along the road. A priest, maybe something, someone like a pastor. But he didn't want to get involved. He didn't want to touch that filthy, bloodied man. So he passed by on the other side. Next, a Levite came down the road. Someone maybe like a deacon. He too passed on the other side. Didn't want to have anything to do with it. But finally, a Samaritan. One who would be despised by the Jews. One who would be looked down on all, by all in society came by. And Jesus says, when he came by, he had compassion on him. He had compassion. He looked down upon this beaten man, this bloodied man, this bloodied body, and he had compassion on him. And as the Lord looked down on his people that day in Egypt, those who had been beaten and bloodied by their slavery, as he heard their cries, remembered his promise, he took notice of them and had compassion. This is a signal to us that something big is about to happen. God is about to come to the rescue. God is raising up His man and it will happen very soon. But the truth is much greater than any of this really. The truth is much greater than anyone could have thought. You see, God was going to rescue His people. But the rescue from slavery in Egypt was just the tip of the iceberg. The rescue through Moses was just a shadow of the greater rescue that was to come thousands of years down the road. But in this case, God's chosen one was himself beaten and bloodied. He was spit on and mocked. He received lash upon lash from whips. He had spikes driven through his hands and feet into a piece of wood. And as he hung there on the cross, desperate, needy, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cried out to God. Jesus cried out to God, but there was no one to help. There was no one to rescue Him. There was no one to come to His aid. In His greatest time of need, God was silent. But it wasn't that God had forgotten His promise. It wasn't that God didn't care. It was actually that God was here in this moment fulfilling His promise. 
It was that God Himself in Jesus was giving Himself, sacrificing Himself in order to keep His promise. In Jesus' suffering and death, He took upon Himself the punishment that should have been ours. He suffered the wrath of God so that we could enjoy peace with God. He endured silence in response to God so that our prayers could be heard. Jesus Christ died so that we could come confidently before the throne of grace and receive mercy in our time of need. He is the Deliverer. He died for our sins and rose for our justification. Who will deliver us from our sin? Who will deliver us from eternal punishment? Who will deliver us from the failures of our past, the sins of our past? Who will deliver anyone and everyone who comes to the end of himself? turns from his sin and looks to the Savior Jesus. Who is our Deliverer? Jesus is the Deliverer that is pictured here as a perfect fulfillment of the Exodus. He will deliver us. He will deliver you if you turn away from your sins to Jesus Christ. So friends, it's time to turn away from the idols of your hearts. Many of us, perhaps have turned to the idols of our culture and to our land as the Israelites did in Egypt. You're worshipping money or possessions. You're worshipping your own pleasure, what you like to do, your own career. Maybe you're giving lip service to God during this time of public worship. But it's time for a change. It's time to turn away from all those things, to lay those things aside. It's time to turn away from living for your own pleasure. Turn to Jesus and be saved. Turn to Jesus, trust Him. That He would grow you. Not only in your knowledge of who He is, but in your worship, that you would offer Him true worship. Pray uh, to Him that He would change you in your prayer life. He's your only hope. He's your only deliverer. So let's Pray asking Him to do this in us. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to You.